Hey, this is Marcus Philly, and you're listening to the Airborne Mind Show. Hey guys, Ms. Bahawk here. Thank you so much for joining me today and welcome back to the show. Today is the 26th episode. I can't believe we've already done 25 episodes so far. Hopefully you found at least one of the past 25 somewhat useful and you've taken away something actionable from it or it's made you think or made you curious in some way, shape or form. Um, I had somebody come up to me uh, the other day, one of our gym members, and he was like, yo, Ms., I tried out uh, Brain Dump yesterday. And I just started laughing because I'm like, oh, my God, like, that's so exciting. Like, you're a fellow brain dumper now. You know, he told me about, you know, something that was on his mind and uh, he put it down on paper. He's like, I've never tried it before, but I said, let me give it a shot. And uh, lo and behold, it, it hasn't been consuming his mind for the past couple of days. And in fact, he's actually gone back to the brain dump and he's been adding to it and refining it. And uh, it sounds like he's having fun with it. So that's kind of what makes this worthwhile for me is you guys finding something, whether it's from me or one of the guests, uh, running with it and seeing what happens. And hopefully it helps you um, in, in some aspect of training, thinking, or just life in general. Before we get started, make sure you head over to the airbornemind.com and you check out some of the coaching videos, checklists, guides, warm-ups, all that good stuff. See what is most relevant to your training right now, and it's free. So take advantage of it. Once again, that is the airbornemind.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. So I made this page, it's called the airbornemind.com forward slash reading list. And it is pretty much a collection of all the books that previous guests have recommended on the show. And if you want to, you can grab a free audiobook and 30 day free trial through that link as well. So once again, that is the airbornemind.com forward slash reading list. So today, Marcus Philly is back on the show. And if you haven't listened to his first episode called Functional Bodybuilding, I highly recommend you check it out. It is still the most downloaded episode of all time. Um, but I'm just fascinated by this guy. You know, last time we had a blast. This time we had a blast. He's probably going to be back on the show because there's so much more to talk about. And we spent quite a decent amount of time in this episode talking about supplementation, uh, gut health, and nutrition overall. I wanted to... I wanted to kind of get past the, you know, macro counting and the nutrient timing and all these nitty gritty details for a little bit. And I wanted to just dig a little deeper. I wanted him to give a, you know, bigger picture on how we should be looking at nutrition when we're kind of designing our lifestyle and designing our food profile. Um, I certainly am not well versed in nutrition. It's not my best suit. So a lot of this stuff was just you know me being purely curious. I wanted to know what's it like being in the supplement industry. Um, how what goes into you know creating protein? Um, how do you sift through all of the bullshit? You know what do you spend your money on, and what is a total waste? And he certainly helped answer a lot of those questions. And gut health—it's one of those things that we know is important. We hear a lot about, but 
it's like, okay, how does this really apply to me? How does this apply to how much energy I have in the day? How does it apply to how stressed I am? How does it relate to my goal of wanting a thinner waistline? Or how does it you know, relate to my performance? There's so many questions I had around this. And he did a wonderful job you know, giving awesome examples and just painting the picture for us. Completely outside of nutrition, there's just a couple points here where you know, I had aha moments and things clicked for me. Um, one in particular where he talks about long-term and short-term success. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but just keep an eye out for that. There's just so many things that we touch on in this episode. You are for sure going to walk away with something useful. All right. So with that being said, please enjoy. Marcus, welcome back to the show, man. And Mizwa, thank you for uh, thank you for having me back. Um, it was a great, great chat we had last time, and I'm excited to be back on the show. Yeah, man. We uh, Your episode was the most downloaded, and I believe it still is, which is pretty awesome. Seems like people love to learn a little bit more about bodybuilding. Uh, but nutrition is another one of those things that we tapped into a little bit last time. And I always get questions about this as well. And I'm definitely, you know, not in a position to uh, get in detail and answer people's questions. So that's why we have you here today. We're going to pick your brain a little bit on, you know, supplements, nutrition, and really what the bigger picture looks like. Well, thanks uh, for, you know, I mean, thanks for setting that stage. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an honor that the previous podcast we did was so well received and, um, and downloaded. And, you know, you, I mean, people do like bodybuilding, but I feel like my hairdo maybe <laughs> played something into why people were so interested in watching. Definitely. Um, no. Yeah. Cool, man. So, um, you know, I went to the Arnold Classic last year, right? And it was my first time ever going there. And, dude, I was blown away by the amount of supplement companies that actually exist. I had no idea, like just in this, you know, giant room, like everybody's selling supplements and everybody claims to have clean products. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like, could you tell us on a bigger picture, like what the industry looks like? Like, uh, what are the laws and regulations when you're kind of going in to kind of make a supplement? Um, how do you really figure out what is real? What is good for me? What, you know, what can I, uh, what is worth my money really? Yeah. Wow. Well, I think, uh, first and foremost, if, if you're listening to this and you've never been to a, um, fitness expo or more importantly, a bodybuilding competition, yeah. Um, and you're in the fitness, if, even if you're doing CrossFit or you're just in like functional fitness, it is a worthwhile endeavor. It is uh, eye-opening to say the least because bodybuilding's been around for so long now and the culture is, you know, there's a lot of things that were borrowed from that culture that have made their way into, you know, fitness, CrossFit. So you can learn a lot by going in and just seeing and, and, and just cruising around the like you said, like the, the, the tabling section or the expo center where yeah. all the, you know, supplement companies are. And, um, yeah, I mean, if anything, it's just good people watching for sure. And I've been to the Arnold classic myself. I lived in Columbus for a year. And so I went when I was living there and it's a, if you can make it out to that particular expo, it's unreal. Um, but yeah, to, to, to your question, you know, the, I think the short answer is the supplement industry is not well regulated at all, you know, and really, um, you know, the, the FDA puts some, um, regulations on what kinds of things need to go onto supplement labels or, 
you know, like something as simple as like, is your, is your product a nutritional product or a supplement? Are you writing nutrition facts on your product or are you writing supplement facts on your mm -hmm. product? Um, you know, what needs to be disclosed in terms of ingredients, what can be kind of covered up as proprietary blends where you don't have to disclose the amount of a certain ingredient. Um, so it, it's, it's such a mixed bag out there. And, um, you know, I think that even like in the CrossFit space, for example, you know, people are seeing lots of different supplement companies that are trying to make an impact there, but it's a pretty small amount relative to the big world of, let's say, bodybuilding supplements that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think part of the reason is that we have a pretty educated group of, of consumers in the functional fitness or the fitness community. They, you know, they demand honesty, you know, integrity out of their companies. You know, these are these are the types of consumers that have asked the questions about, well, why am I doing this type of exercise? They're not just kind of blindly, you know, following what, you know, what their t coaches are telling them. And the coaches in a lot of these, um, you know, gyms and boxes around the country and the world are telling you, hey, this is why we're doing it. So they're, they're giving some of the uh, answers to the questions. And that's carrying over to the supplement um, market in this, you know, space. So, you know, to just say, hey, this is going to get you the best pump and this is awesome. You got to do this. And just a flashy bottle, you know, isn't really cutting it anymore in this uh, market. Um, now, like, how do you sift through all the stuff that's out there? Yeah. How do you know what's, you know, what's clean uh, and what's not clean? Um, and I think, I think w w I've created kind of a, a philosophy that, um, you know, is essential ingredients, right? Like everything that you're doing has a purpose, whether I'm coaching somebody in like a, a, a fitness program, like why did I do that for my warm up? It has a purpose. I didn't just write something up on the board to fill time, you know, and I'm not just putting an ingredient on my ingredient list because it's a good filler and it fills up some bag space, right? It makes the bag that's two pounds or the bottle that's five pounds, you know, actually only have a pound worth of real ingredients that do something for you and then four right. pounds of ingredients that are just filling space that make you feel like, oh, I'm getting bang for my buck kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing. And, and so when you're reading ingredient you know, labels and uh, supplement facts, um, supplement ingredient lists, you know, it's, things, things need, to be, you need to be able to explain why something's there. And you know, it could be because you know, uh, it is a really effective ingredient to help recovery or it's an essential building block for muscle repair or it's a, you know, a nootropic that activates your brain chemistry in a way that helps you either focus um, or, you know, there are parts to the supplement industry that really do come down to palatability, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're taking supplements that in their raw form can taste horrible. You know, right. anybody that's ever bought some, you know, branch chain amino acids in bulk off of bodybuilding.com, you know, the cheapo version because they were trying to save some dollars, they realized like that was a bad choice because this stuff tastes like poison and I think I'm going to vomit right. taking it. So, um, you know, you have to go into the chemistry of how do you actually make something palatable and what's like a, you know, what's a, a safe way to do that and what's kind of a cheap and easy way to do that, what you know, uses artificial ingredients, what uses more natural ingredients. Um, again, those are terms that also have, that are pretty loose in the industry. But, right. uh, but you know, 
something's got to mix well. It's got to taste good. Otherwise, it could be the best, you know, and most effective thing on the market. But no one's going to touch it because it's just, it just tastes god awful. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So you studied molecular biology at Berkeley, and uh, mm-hmm. so I'm curious, like, when we peek into the process of what are some things that you're looking at to put together something that's palatable but also you know effective at the same time what does that process look like when you're choosing like okay i want this to go in there and i want this to go in there and we got to make this in there so that it tastes good like what does that process look like well i'll be i mean i i have to just kind of uh, up front like my my background in molecular science and uh physiology and undergrad was really understanding how these raw ingredients, you know, will impact either human physiology or exercise physiology, um, impact people that are sick. As you know, I went to medical school, so I was interested in kind of how food and supplements interact with the body in a disease setting. Um, and that, you know, also uh, it, it gave me a background in understanding how to really sift through the the research, right? So, right. you know, a big part of undergraduate education for anybody that's going into medical fields or science-based fields is, hey, how do you actually evaluate data and determine whether something's legit and if, uh, you know, methods were correct in scientific research studies to warrant the claims that they might be making? Um, but what it wasn't, you know, <laughs> there was no class in undergrad where it was like, okay, let's get together some whey protein isolate and let's get together some creatine and let's get together some of this and let's mix it together and try and make a product, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of that was, you know, done well after college. And it was done, um, I think, like a a lot of people that maybe start off in the supplement game is, you know, I'll be personally sourcing ingredients from all over the place, something I see that's in bulk and I'm mixing it together, you know, in my shaker bottle in my office and saying, how does this work is this effective for me is this taste good how would i improve this taste and then eventually if you're going to go through that process you have to reach out to people that are experts in that in that field that they basically dedicate their entire you know uh career to formulation product sourcing mixing and then eventually manufacturing and that's you know that's not something that uh is easy to do right i mean just imagine it's like you want to have the like uh, trying to give you something to compare it to, but you know maybe you think about the Olympic Training Center for fitness, right? There's yeah. just this massive budget, incredibly you know bright uh, coaches and minds and scientists co- collaborating. You know just the equipment that they could, any equipment they could ever want. Best athletes in the world. You know, now let's go and test something there. Let's go and create something there versus, you know, I'm in my garage. I got a couple kettlebells. You know, I took I took, uh, I, I took an L1. I've uh, got some in- information, but I'm like over here experimenting on scientific stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can you can get results in both places, but uh, you know, there's going to be a limit to what you might be able to do in in one setting versus the other. And if you're looking in the supplement industry, you know, mixing stuff out of your garage and putting it in bags and then heat sealing it and slapping a label on it and sending it out, saying, hey, I got this product, I got this company, you know, I dotted my I's, crossed my T's, I'm, I'm legit, mm-hmm. versus working with companies that actually have, you know, the Olympic Training Center type of facility where they can, uh, they can vet the sources of uh, 
you know, their, their ingredients, for example, where is their whey protein isolate coming from? Where is their, you know, where are they getting their dextrose from? Where do they source their glutamine from? You know, uh, how do they actually, uh, batch test the ingredients as they go through manufacturing? So we got 10,000 units we just created. Let's pull one randomly every 10 minutes out of the line and let's go and check it for, you know, consistency of, of uh, what's actually on the label. Let's right. go ahead and make sure that there's no impurities that are in there. So we have to have infrared scanners, which are millions of dollars. We have to, you know, it's, it, it goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when, when, when I took a venture into that side of, you know, supplement uh, creation, you know, I, I recognized where my limits were. And I went up the chain trying to work with companies and people that were actually really, uh, you know, experts in their field. Right. Uh, what does does supplementation have any type of you know long term like side effects or anything like that on the body? Does it take a toll think, on you at all? Um, gosh, that's a. I think that's a. That's a case by case. Kind yeah, of I guess it depends on the type of supplement we're talking about as well. But yeah. let's say that we're sticking with maybe the things that people commonly take, like uh, you know BCAAs, protein, and things like that. Like, explain, uh, give us, you know, paint the picture a little bit on what that would do uh, for internal health, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Well, um, a couple things. I mean, number one, I don't, as far as I know, there have been no long term, you know. Um, case studies done Mm -hmm. where we followed people on a specific supplement regimen versus a control group of people just eating normal like whole foods right Mm -hmm. um so the data is probably not out there so anything i'm about to say is coming strictly from my you know my understanding of you know nutrition digestion and longevity sure um you know there are people you know there could be good cases and bad cases the same thing could go for whole food diets, people that eat really low-quality food, people that eat high-quality food. Mm-hmm. You know, Is eating food for the long term going to impact your health? Maybe. You know, it could yeah. promote good health or it could make you really sick, right? Is you know, supplementing for a long period of time good or bad for your health? Uh, it probably could be both. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think um, looking at food and supplements kind of with the same – through the same lens of – you know, how much of what we're taking is actual ingredients for life and what are we taking that is, you know, not uh, necessarily important ingredients for life or just, uh, you know, chemical compounds that have been proven in, in you know, in a, a test tube to, to have some impact or to catalyze some reaction but we don't really know, and they haven't been studied long, long enough to know what their impact's going to be in humans. So you take an, a, a supplement or um, something like creatine monohydrate. It's mm-hmm. probably one of the most studied, um, you know, performance-enhancing uh, supplements on the market. Yeah. Years of research, and you know, the overwhelming, uh, you know, bulk of the data suggests that it's it's very safe for. A long-term use, and, um, and and it's something that I recommend to a lot of my you know fitness clients to take as part of their supplement regimen. Now, it's something that I take daily. So, you know, that that's that's one example of something that's been kind of looked at 
over and over and over again in the research. Right. Um, but when when you talked about like how do these things infect uh, affect what's going on inside of me, um, you know, anytime we break down a whole food to its con- constituent parts, you know, anytime we process something down and down and down, we're losing we're losing something. Right. You know, we're losing something about how that was how we were kind of evolved to take in those um, ingredients, right? So, you know, eating a piece of, uh, let's just go with chicken, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to eat chicken, I'm going to chew that chicken, you know, there's going to be digestion that starts happening in my mouth because I have to masticate and I'm, you know, I'm breaking it down with my tongue and saliva and my teeth, which is then going to go into my you know, esophagus down in my stomach, and then stomach acids are going to break that down. And because, you know, it's a bolus of food, it's not going to just, you know, get down into my small intestine very quickly. It has to spend some time in that stomach where it's going to get, you know, there's going to be some acidic breakdown. And then once it gets into my small intestine, you know, then enzymes are going to either have to do a lot of work, whether I swallowed it quickly or if I chewed enough, um, they're going to start pulling out, you know, breaking down uh, proteins into amino acids, which then are going to get absorbed, you know. So that's a process of eating a food, and all of those steps impact how we digest, impacts hormone secretions, impacts our brain chemistry around sati- satiation. Um, so, you know, understanding the the way things are supposed to happen in our system, and then we look at, you know, how do we break down protein? Let's say we take milk protein and we break it down into whey, mm-hmm. whey protein, uh, so milk protein has multiple proteins in it. We get whey protein isolated out of it, and we put that in the form of a drink. You know, let's just now imagine that. I drink this drink. I, I slurp it down. Was there any chewing that happened? No. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's in liquid form. How long is that going to have to spend in my stomach before it starts to get, you know, basically allowed to, you know, empty into my small intestine? Not as long. So maybe there's less enzymatic breakdown that starts to happen there or acidic breakdown that happens there, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm only highlighting that to just point out that it's different, okay? So it will impact our body differently. Right. You know, whether one is good or one is bad, um, you know, that's not, my, that's not my argument. I think mm-hmm. each has a place, and we have to understand where the place is. You know, we were meant to eat food, and you supplement your entire life with liquid nutrition – uh, I think that there's probably going to be some breakdowns that happen over time. You know, they have yeah. companies that are ba- are marketing these all-encompassed meal replacements that you can just live off of. Um, I know a couple companies where they're like, hey, you know, we're targeting a, a group of um, computer programmers that don't like to get off the computer. They like to stay on the computer all day and have time to break, you know, for a meal. So if we give them you know, liquid nutrition that they can drink all day, they're going to be more productive. They might be healthier than if they just skip meals all day. Right. But you compare that to somebody who's taking the time to sit down and eat and chew food and, you know, get in whole whole ingredients. Um, yeah, there, I, I, do, I do believe there's going to be some long-term consequences to that. Yeah. Um, can you support a, you know, healthy diet uh, ongoing with the use of supplements, like supplementing an actual food-based diet, definitely. I think that that's you know, it's my my belief and something that I practice for almost twenty years now. Right. Um, so, yeah. So I I could keep going, but I'll stop and let you kind of. Yeah, yeah. No, the it's, I guess the 
the lens that we're kind of looking at supplementation through is that, you know, because I know for myself, like I've gone through periods where I'm like, okay, I'm going to take, you know, one to two protein shakes a day to make sure I'm getting in my protein requirements. Then there's been times where maybe I'm not taking any protein supplements, but I'm trying to do that through just regular food. And mm-hmm. when you actually add all that up, it's it, it's tough to get all of your protein from real foods. You would just have to eat a lot of it. So... Mm-hmm. What I guess, how should we view supplementation? Because for me, it was like a matter of convenience, right? It's like, okay, I could take the shake that is, you know, 24 grams, or if I put milk in it, it's, you know, 30 grams. And uh, this would, you know, this would help me get to my daily goal of whatever it was, 135 grams of protein. So what is that Mm -hmm. lens that we should be viewing supplementation through and how that ties into how like just our regular meals throughout the day? Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, the lens that I I I look through, and I'm s- sort of the philosophy that I preach to folks is that you know there are, we 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 have to first establish good um, nutritional practices and quality nutritional practices. So understanding, and let me preface this by saying that my bias is towards creating long term. Um, healthy relationships with food Mm -hmm. that will last my client or the individual well beyond their, you know, maybe sports performance or their aesthetic goal, you know, period of time. Because I think that that was something that when I was younger, I, I overlooked, I jumped too quickly into how do I achieve certain numbers and macronutrients and calorie counts in order to get this result aesthetically um, that I didn't build a base of understanding of how to, you know, eat for wellness and longevity. Right. Um, and then honestly ad- adapt, uh, sorry, excuse me, adopt practices that I could, that could translate to different, um, goals in my life, whether it be to, you know, look good, perform well, just generally have good energy, be healthy. You know, there's some underlying principles that really go hand in hand with any of those. Mm-hmm. So the lens is, Let's evaluate that and work on that first. Um, and th- that typically happens with you know a food-based approach versus a supplement-based approach. And I think that getting that set up in in a client or in a person's life, you know, is has to happen before we start to look at hey, how do we in- how do we impact ourselves with supplements? Because right. let's say you're trying to get 250 grams of protein a day. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a that's a huge number, you know, if you're going to just eat food, all right? But you're going from eating, let's say, your your daily, you know, you know, landscape of your diet looks like, you know, milk and cereal in the morning, you know, a sandwich with like two slices of turkey on it at lunch, and then a dinner of pasta. And you're like, I got to get 250 grams of protein from that? Yeah. Like, you're going to be like, I need 20 shakes a day. Like, I need to just crush shakes. And... But you didn't actually change your food profile first to get you closer to that goal, right? Because right. if we give you, you know, uh, three eggs, two pieces of bacon, uh, you know, and fruit in the morning, and then we give you like, uh, you know, you know, a, a eight ounce chicken breast at lunch with like a salad, you know, with some nuts on it, and then at night you're having, you know, steak, potatoes, and roasted vegetables. Okay, well now we're up at like. 120, 140 grams of protein, right. maybe more, you know, depending on what you had 
uh, in terms of size and serving size and so forth. So now getting to 250 means having maybe two shakes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it like or adding in some protein here or there, or maybe having a snack, you know, midday because you're realizing the more protein I was eating, uh, it's actually <laughs> enhancing my appetite or it's making me more hungry. I'm actually burning more energy through eating higher protein, uh, you know, having higher protein intake. So then you add in a snack, you know, mid-afternoon, which is also a dense protein snack that you, you know, come up with uh, something like a Greek yogurt, maybe mixed in with some, you know, chia seeds or something like that. And so now you're you're even closer to your goal. Right. Okay. And then it's like, all right, this is kind of my limit, right? Like this is how much time I have to spend eating food, sitting down, chewing it right, allowing it to digest correctly. And I still haven't gotten to my goal. You know, at that point, maybe your goals have changed. Maybe you're like, damn, I'm killing it. Like someone told me I needed 250, but I'm at 180 and I'm feeling awesome and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting, you know, losing body fat or I'm getting stronger. I'm recovering faster from my training. I have more energy, you know, and then, then we start talking differently about how we're going to fit supplements into your life if we still need them. Let's right. say you do still need them. You're like, I still want to hit my 220 mark. Okay, it's a 40 gram you know, uh, whey protein shake that you're going to have at 11 o'clock in the morning, an hour and a half before, you know, you have, have lunch, or maybe it's a post-workout shake that you're going to have that, you know, fits into your day because you're training and your energy demands are up for that reason. Um, so hopefully that answers the question of like, just the lens. It's like, we're going to start big and then we're going to get, you know, more focused on our specific needs so you really have to cover the bases uh, I guess what you were saying with um, I mean there's companies like isogenics that's one that I've gotten questions about as well and and I don't know too much about it I haven't looked into it too much but from the way that it was described to me um, and I, pretty much drinking shakes as like meal replacement stuff and it's like it works but at the same time it's it's kind of like a band-aid or it's kind of like a shortcut because you're not really learning the principles of how you need to, you know, maneuver your nutrition a little bit and how you need to mold it. So when you stop doing it, you know, you're probably going to put all the weight back on that you just lost, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm saying this because I'm the guy that had multiple run-throughs with liquid nutrition. You Mm -hmm. know, anybody follow testosterone.net or T Nation for any period of time knows that there was something called the velocity diet that was out there. I did that. I think I did it twice. Um, that's, that's, that's four straight weeks of protein shakes, like five, five times a day. Tell us a little bit more about, uh, the velocity diet. Yeah. The velocity diet is like, um, uh, it was, let's see, I think the foundation of it was basically drinking five, five 30 gram protein shakes a day, roughly. Um, and each one had like some flax seeds in it. Um, you know, there was, some fish oil that I had, I think it was like I was able to have like espresso in the morning, but that was it. It was it was literally just protein shakes, and wow. then one meal a day. I mean, excuse me, one meal a week. One meal a week was like oatmeal and like blueberries, and um, it was super effective at losing body fat. Like I I documented like a four week thing back when I was like in my early twenties, and uh, yeah, I, I went from like you know I was I was like coming off of a I think I had just traveled abroad to Asia and I kind of had an injury at the end of college and so I was in Asia not training and just kind of let myself go a little bit and I got into some bad rhythms and I think I was like 200 and 
five pounds, like not good, 205 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I think by the end of the velocity, I was like at 180. And I was like lean and ripped, you know. Wow. But but uh, as you said, like I was not in a good place. I didn't have systems in place to like manage good, healthy eating practices. You know, this was like a Band-Aid to fix like what I felt like was some kind of train flying off the off the rails. Like I was like, oh my God, I'm, this, is the, this is the first time since like college sports where I'm feeling like I'm putting on like a lot of body fat i'm not like i can barely I have no visible abs anymore i'm not feeling good you know all the various things that make people feel you know discouraged and self-conscious and i'm like i'm gonna fix this thing and look at my willpower is gonna get me through this and mm-hmm. i'm gonna drink shakes for four weeks and uh it was you know effective and then unaffected and then it all kind of unwind you know unwound afterwards and those results were not long you know sustained right uh, um so that's not a knock against liquid nutrition as a as a tool to achieve some quick results right i've used that with clients before um but i was you know sure to make you know make absolutely sure that we had good practices in place we came on and off of it at like a a pace and with an understanding of how we were going to transition back to real food and how we we're going to implement quality into that real food practice. And then also, you know, making sh- sure that when we're doing liquid, uh, nutrition, um, phases that, you know, they were not extended periods of time. And so, yeah, again, it's like, there's no right or wrong. There's mm-hmm. just look at the specific person's, you know, situation that they're in. And, you know, there's, these are just tools that, I can only feel confident even attempting to use because I've I've experimented with so much. Right. <laughs> I had a chance to kind of see this stuff firsthand. Yeah. Now, how much um how much protein can you take in, you know, at one time, maybe in one meal or in one shake? Like is there a certain point where let's say I'm, you know, taking in a gram, uh, a shake of like 50 grams or something like that and I think I'm getting 50 grams? But mm-hmm. like you said, that whole process that has to happen when you're digesting, maybe at the end, I'm I'm not left with anything near that, and and it's kind of a waste in a sense, right? So how much can yeah. you really take in? Yeah, I mean that that's like that's like the that is almost right up there next to how much you bench in terms of like the most common question that gets yeah. thrown around <laughs> the fitness world. How much you bench? How much protein can I actually drink right now? And and and. and feed my muscles with um and honestly it's like nobody knows the answer to that right and here's why uh i'm sure that you know perhaps there's been some research done where you know you basically um people ingested you know certain foodstuffs and then they actually measured their you know the grams and the weight of their stool and then they (laughs) did some calculations (laughs) to figure out like hey what actually got absorbed um but absorption into the you know, body, right? Um, this is also a misunderstanding a lot of people have. It's like when something goes into your mouth and into your digestive system, it's not in your body yet, right? right. It's in your gut, which is actually just, you know, it's it's an internal but external part um, of your body. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, there's bacteria that are in there, there's enzymes that get secreted into there, but, you know, if it's in your GI, your, your GI tract, it hasn't yet impacted the internal, you know, sea of your body. It's still outside of your body. Gotcha. And 
if it were to get zero absorption, right, and people have had this happen, right? Mm -hmm. Think about the corn you ate last night, and then you see it in the toilet in the morning. Well, that never made it inside your body. That just went right through you. Mm -hmm. You know, you are you are like a donut. You know, you <laughs> have a hole in the middle of you that goes from mouth to to the other end, and until something basically gets absorbed across the intestinal lining and into your you know bloodstream you're not really absorbing anything and you're not ingesting it's not coming into your body so what impacts people's absorption you know uh how how does that stuff get across that barrier of your gut wall and absorption is a really complex and and dynamic thing that happens for people it's uh you know, it's impacted by so many factors. Like, you know, one of the things I stress with my clients is the health of their their gut, yeah. you know, their GI tract. How intact is that system? Um, you know, it's analogous to your skin. Your skin protects your protects you from the outside world. Your gut is like the inside skin. Okay, the gotcha. inner inner skin of your body, and you know. If you had a bunch of cuts on your on your um, arm, you know, even like deep ones or shallow cuts, you're more prone to infection, right? Yeah. Uh, you have to cover those. You have to do dressing, right? You could get, you could be inflamed. They would hurt. Like, you know, that that everyone can relate to that. Everyone's had a cut at some point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now think about having cuts on the inside of your body, on the skin of your gut. All right. Yeah. You know. That cuts or you know disruptions to your your digestive system that impacts how well you can absorb the protein you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, circle back to what you asked, which is like, hey, how 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 well can I absorb protein? You know, well, you you could eat a you know really delicious, well prepared, uh, organic, wild caught piece of salmon, you know, but your gut's so pounded and jacked up mm -hmm. that it doesn't absorb any of it, and right. then you just poop it out so uh in that case you know that person didn't absorb much of anything maybe the max of the max grams they could absorb in a sitting is 10 grams of protein i don't know i'm just making the you know numbers yeah. up here versus somebody else who's got super intact gut you know they're eating uh you know they're eating uh, food hygiene and eating practices are, are are really um they're really in tune with them and, and they really line up well for their bodies um, you know, they might be able to extract a lot more nutrients out of their meals mm -hmm. and out of their shakes. Um, so, you know, people who I've heard numbers like you can't get more than 50 grams of protein out of a shake. So don't worry about ever having anything more than that. Right. But Hey, if I go down and I have Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, I sit down and I mow through multiple courses and, you know, I, you know, extend it out over an hour and I'm chewing my food and I'm, you know, my digestion's really uh, uh, healthy, and maybe I didn't eat for the whole day leading up to that. So, you know, my enzymes are like kind of have really condensed, uh, or sorry, uh, gotten you know concentrated in my small intestine. Mm -hmm. I might be able to get 120, 150 grams of protein out of my turkey and my you yeah. know my roast or whatever I might be eating. So that's just two different situations. Um, you know, with that said, if you're I, I can't think of many examples, you know, of clients certainly that I'm 
working with or people that are in the fitness world where they should they would need you know more than 40 to 50 grams of protein per serving mm-hmm. and and that is unless they're making mistakes in their diet elsewhere it's like you forgot to eat all day and now you're trying to make up for it at night well don't worry about how much protein you can absorb worry about fixing the problem that you had yeah. earlier in the day of just poor planning right yeah, this is something that I I mean, I've heard Kelly Surrett talk about this with water. And I think he mentioned, you know, how many liters a day we actually need for male and female. And it was nothing crazy. I, I mean, I'm guessing here, but I think it was like 2.5 liters for males. And the point of that was, you know, we focus and stress hydration so much and we're drinking so much water. But the point is that a lot of it isn't absorbed and that's where I guess the problem, uh, that's the right question to ask, I guess, is how do we optimize absorption or how do we optimize gut health so that we can actually absorb this stuff better? Yeah. Not just protein, but everything else too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, you know, if you can sort out the, um, the portal into your body for nutrients, which is your gut and, you know, then then we can really dive into macronutrient cal- calorie you know ounce cups whatever prescriptions yeah. that make sense if you start with a broken system and you're like okay you're going to eat this much you know i just don't know if anybody can be confident right to mm-hmm. to actually say okay that's making an impact in this way or that way or we know how that's going to impact this person um I, I used to say, like, you know, uh, this was like, I used to say this with bad food. Like, if you're eating kind of low-quality food or, or crap food, you can't trust yourself to know what you need, right? Yeah. Like, like this, like, your, your body is going to tell you when you're hungry. It's like, no, it's not. Not if you're eating, you know, a scone for breakfast, you know, a sugary latte for lunch, and then just mowing down, you know, pizza for dinner. Like, your brain is jacked up it doesn't know what the hell is going on and i would i've evolved that to saying your gut doesn't know what the hell is going on your gut is messed up you know your your gi tract is obliterated you know and and they're actually so connected your brain and your and your gut health you know there's that's something you, you, you i learned in uh undergraduate physiology it's like you know there are more neural receptors in your gut than just about anywhere else in your in your body you know aside from your brain so it's like there are tremendous connections between your brain and your in your gi tract and the other thing that's also in in you know massive massive uh concentration there is your uh you know immune cells um so there's there's an immune portion and there's a neural uh, portion that's going on there if we think about you know eating affecting how we feel in terms of like healthy or sick or affecting how our inflammation in our total body is. I mean, your, your inflammatory cells are your immune cells. So, uh, um, and then having appetite control or willpower, you know, all these, uh, things that people associate with food that are, that are brain driven. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a huge stretch to see how physiologically all that is connected, right? Because the immune system is in massive concentration in the, in the gut. There's tons of neuroreceptors in the gut. So I eat, I eat something that's high quality. It's going to make me potentially 
feel better, more resistant to sickness. It's going to make me understand my thoughts about food and attach to good, healthy foods and uh, know what I need to eat when I need to eat it versus eating the wrong thing. It could set you up for a cascade of, am I hungry? I'm craving more bad stuff. Do I want to eat that? Is that right for me? Uh, should, oh my God, I'm, star I'm starving right now. Uh, am I starving? I just ate, you know, and God, I'm like feeling run down. Um, I'm finding myself getting sick often, you know. So those connections, you know, I've just over time learned so much more about that. Mm -hmm. And through, through practice with myself and with clients, um, that keeping that healthy gut, you know, is a portal towards <laughs> better absorption, better mind gut body control um, or understanding or freedom rather you know the freedom to be like I know what to eat when to eat it mm -hmm. I don't have to like schedule out everything in my life you know that was a freedom that I was chasing for a long time when I was younger was like is it gonna be this hard do I have to schedule out every single thing to eat for the rest of my life to like feel like I'm you know I have the body I want feel the way I want to feel mm -hmm. that's scary yeah man so it sounds like um, this is kind of like the root why to look into. It's kind of like you have to set that foundation with the gut before you can start worrying about, you know, macronutrient timing and like all those little details that we hear so much about today. Um, so let's say for somebody who has a really terrible gut, right? Like let's say their skin essentially is just slashed up in there. So this is irreversible, right? Like if somebody starts cleaning up their act a little bit, we can restore a healthy gut. Right. I think you meant to say reversible. It is reversible. reversible. Yeah, sorry. Irreversible. <laughs> like you're screwed. You had too many Twinkies. You're done. Forget it. No, I mean, if it was irreversible, I'd be screwed because, you know, my childhood was, you know, I mean, no fault to anybody, no fault to my parents. I just ate what most kids ate, you know? It was you know, looking back, it was, hey, soccer practice is over. Let's swing by Taco Bell on the way home. You right. know, it was fast. It was easy. Uh, plenty of trips to McDonald's. Plenty of, uh, you know, Totino's rolls uh, after school. Heating them is. up and <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, um, uh, it is reversible. Um, and But with that, with that said, like, you know, the degree to which you need to dive into um, – reversing it can be you know it can vary for a lot of people and sometimes that process is extremely painful and hard for people painful uh not like physically painful but just emotionally yeah it's just challenging it's like am i really this messed up is my gut really this jacked oh my gosh i really have to evaluate these other areas in my life that are super stressful like um you know, because food isn't the only thing that damages our our digestive system. Right. You know, our sleep can damage it, or it can promote healthy guts. Uh, our environment, stress in our environment, that's your work. That's a relationship that you're in. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, substances that people use and abuse, and um, alcohol, and you know. Uh, adrenal stress can impact it and then another big one is your training you know people's training like give yourself a a good whack of lactic acid 
and that that is difficult on the gut. So, um, yeah, painful being like, you know, I want I want a, a thinner waistline. Okay, well, you have belly fat, which is a sign that you know you're probably under some global stress uh, overload, which is impacting your gut health. And so we got to you got to figure that out. Okay, so in order to get a thinner waistline, I'm going to have to, you know, change my food profile. That's hard enough for people. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, okay, we're changing your food profile, but you actually, you're going to have to go on some, you know, serious supplementation. And no, you you can't just have one or two drinks a week like that other person. You're going to need to be off alcohol completely for six months or 12 months, you know, to reestablish a good, you know, gut or you know, people have been on prescription uh, antibiotics for a long time, not knowing that they're impacting their gut health and they're getting you know heavy as a result of it. Uh, so it, it's super complex, yeah. um, but it, it, it is reversible. And getting to the the root cause of it, you know, as a coach, I'm like, I've got this checklist. I go through like, okay, let's start here, then here, then here, then here, and then there's a point which I'm like, okay. This is now outside the scope of my practice. Mm. I'm not a doctor, and so maybe we need to refer you to people that can take you deeper into these other areas. You know, maybe yeah. it's an allergen specialist. Maybe it's a naturopath to do some hormone panels on you and to get you on some supplementation. Maybe you need to go and have, uh, you know, may- maybe you need to get a colonoscopy to really see what's the damage to your actual uh, colon look like or your GI tract. Um, yeah, it can go multiple layers, and and I've gotten to a lot of those layers with clients. Where, you know, recently I just referred a client to uh, a specialist because I was like, hey, this is outside the scope. We did two, almost eighteen months of 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 retooling her and re, you know, uh, basically cultivating good, healthy lifestyle practices, and she made tremendous progress. We kind of hit a wall, and it was like, okay, what's the next step for her? How is she gonna Okay, I'm. It's now. This is outside my my scope. Yeah, I mean, wow, that's really complex. So, um, okay, so is there? Where should somebody start with this? Like, should is there a certain maybe test that people should go get done from somebody, um, or is that something that you can maybe worry about later down the line? Uh, are there certain markers we might be looking out for that are good to know to kind of gauge this uh, a little more objectively? Or should we, what are, you know, the basics, the absolute basics that you think some people could start taking away today and, and uh, you know, striving for a healthier gut? Yeah, no, I, I don't think you need, there's no, there's no like gold standard test that I would say, that would be a great thing to have at some point, like an actual test of, bi- of, of gut health that had like a grading system on it and you can right. go get, it wasn't that invasive, but um, as far as I know, that doesn't exist. And um, what is perhaps, you know, things that people can do today is, is one, start evaluating your bowel movements, all right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds so weird to say it like that, but, you know, poop is basically the one of the most available sources of information about how your digestive system is doing you know um how regular are you do you have bowel movements at the same time every day um yes or no you know that can be an indicator of good or poor gut health you know how much 
stool do you pass each day? Well, somebody tells me, hey, I only have a bowel movement every like third day. I'm like, okay, that's actually not, you know, that's not ideal. And that might be an indicator that something's going on, right? right. Or I have loose bowel movements every day. I basically have diarrhea all the time. Okay, that could be, you know, that, that's an indicator that something's not right. Or I'm constipated constantly. I have, I, if I don't take, you know, X amount of, fiber or metamucil every day i can't have a normal you know bowel movement um so starting to look at that and you can start you know people can go and look up a bristol stool chart have okay. you heard of that no I bristol haven't. stool chart is basically you know uh cartoon type pictures of what poop looks like and that you know seven or i think it's like a like a seven different kind of scale one through seven and that like a three or a four is ideal and if you're like more towards the one, which is like watery, you know, diarrhea, you know, it can mean these things or seven, you know, little pellets that are hard to pass could mean these things. But again, just just a piece of information for somebody who's never heard of it. Go look it up. It's yeah, kind no, of fun. we'll we'll link that one up in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then post it on the uh, start posting pictures on Instagram, everybody. <laughs> you're of your stools, of your morning poo, and then grade yourself and see if we can shut down the internet that way. Um, no, but then, and then other things, you know, uh, looking, you know, part of like a, a food profile that I try and collect from a client might be, hey, you're going to write down what you ate when you ate it. But in addition to that, you know, if they're going to be really good at evaluating how this stuff is making them uh, how it's impacting them. They're going to also write at about the 30 to 60 minute mark post meal. How do you feel? Right? Are you gassy? Are you burping? You know, are you starting to get tired? Are you, uh, you know, feeling GI discomfort? Um, you know, these again. These or are you, <clears throat> you know, having to clear your throat? Are you feeling like mucusy in your in your uh, as a as you know people don't think of it this way, but as a result of the meal, it's like the, these are things that are happening because you just ate, right? You know, um, uh, I remember tuning in for the first time to like what GI pain felt like and being like, oh my god, that's not supposed to happen. Like it was like the you know, I'm not just talking like you ate too well. That's part of it, but like you know, the post Thanksgiving meal, like you're just, your, your stomach is cramping because you just are too full of stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's a sign that you're eating too much. Okay. Yeah. You know, during Thanksgiving, everyone assumes that that's going to happen or they let that happen. But you know, if you're feeling that like on an average meal, that's, that's problematic. And that can tell you that something's not working with your gut, like your body and your relationship with the food that you're eating isn't in harmony. So Something's wrong. Mm -hmm. If you're burping up constantly, you know, if you get super, super gassy after meals, um, you know, the <laughs> beans, beans, the magical fruit, right? Like, right. well, perhaps that's just too much of a certain type of fiber for your body to handle and it's overwhelming your system and you're like gassy all the time. So, you know, again, that's, that's something I add in for people. Uh, it's just to take a look at that stuff because you could find out that there are things that you're eating that don't agree with you that you never thought were prob problematic. I mean, I found out that garlic didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, I, I removed garlic for a long period of time because my, 
My wife actually has an allergy to it. She gets really scratchy in the throat. You know, she gets burning sensation in all of her, like, you know, her mouth and other places I won't, you know, share. But it's like, it's like she, that doesn't work for her. So I stopped having it. And then when it would find its way back into my food, you know, I just get GI discomfort. Right. And number one, I don't want to feel that way. Yeah. I don't I don't like to sit down after a meal on the couch or wherever I'm at and feel like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I got to keep shifting my position. Like at this point, there are very few foods that are worth it for me to, to go through that. But then I also know that, well, that's pissing off something inside of me. Mm-hmm. You know, my gut is working overtime to digest this thing and it's irritated. And, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not going to expose myself to irritants because I know that by removing them as often as possible and all the time, I feel better, I digest things better, you know, I wake up, I have a normal and healthy bowel movement, right? Like, it's a small thing for some, but I think it's a big thing for a lot of people. It's like, that's a sign that the day is starting right. Like, my system's working, I'm processing things, like, and yeah, I, I uh, more, more talk about poop. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. <laughs> All right. So I want to jump a little bit into the Q&As that some listeners had. And uh, one of them was, you know, supplements are expensive and people are constantly trying to kind of cut down their expenses and really figuring out like, okay, that whole 80-20 rule, right? What are the 20% of things that are going to give me 80% of my results? And uh, what, when you think about that, like what are some essentials for somebody that you would recommend? Like, would you say protein is is good? Uh, Amino acids? Like what select few things should people kind of keep their focus down onto when, when shopping for supplements? Yeah, great. Um, well, uh, I think that it's, you know, I, I I like to be thoughtful with how I spend my money. Um, I'm, I'm in that camp, you know. I've been buying supplements uh, on and off for close to 20 years now. Um, what I know is that when the supplements are effective in getting you what you want, people will pay a lot for them. Like, mm-hmm. and your, your cost benefit ratio changes. Um, you know, I, I think last year my, my wife and I were doing our monthly budget and we were like, you know, looking at accounting for some of our expenses. And it's like monthly, it's like, you know, I think we were each paying like, I think our total supplement bill every month was like 600 plus dollars. Right. Wow, yeah. And that's not counting like the supplements that I get for free because I own a supplement company. I mean, they're not free, but it's like, you know, I have supp- a supplement company and we have, you know, protein and recovery products and, you know, I'm not counting those. It's like the vitamins, the minerals, the greens, the fiber, the this, that, you know. Right. So, um, but I wouldn't trade any of them in, you know. I thought like, okay, if I had to cut my budget, I'm going to cut somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But this is my body. This is how I feel. Like, I'm not going to go buy shittier food. I'm going to buy high quality food because it makes me feel great. Mm-hmm. And when I buy the right quality food and I cook it myself and I have the right supplements to go with it, like I can sustain off of like just the basics and feel awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, getting down to what actually works, you know, and what like be, um, you know, that's, that's the part that I think that's the question to ask. It's like, 
what are the products that are out there that really play a big role in how you feel? Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't skimp on gut health supplements. Um, I don't I don't skimp on you know uh, supplements that um, support my adrenals and my uh, like energy levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, because I'm an athlete uh, and my you know carbohydrate and protein needs in and around training can be really high, you know, having um, supplements that fit that category, you know, were, were essentials for me. So, you know, post-workout protein carb supplements or, you know, protein supplements to, you know, help us get to that 250 that we were talking about yeah. earlier. Um, not that I take 250 a day, but I'm, I'm somewhere around 2 to 220. Gotcha. So that's still hard, right? Yeah. If you're just eating meat um, and eggs. Those eggs don't really get you that much, but yeah. they're so good. <laughs> and I'm not doing a cup of egg whites every day. That is not in the plan. Right. Um, so those are some areas. And then when it comes to performance enhancing supplements, um, of course, I'm talking about like uh, legal, you know, uh, approved uh, supplements, things like you know creatine or um, beta alanine or amino acids. Um, I think you got to actually just be, you know, honest with yourself. Like, where are you at in your athletic development? How, how much, you know, those things are going to impact you less than a percent up at the top. You know, they're not going to take you from a 250-pound back squat to a 300-pound back squat. You know, they're, right. they may not even add anything to your back squat. They, they may, you know, in a certain particular environment, impact your performance. So, but whereas you know, a macronutrient supplement like a protein or carb supplement that's going to impact your daily, you know, intake and either be of quality or poor quality. And, um, you know, that, that probably plays a bigger role. And then, of course, food plays a really big role. So, you know. Yeah. Anyway, hopefully that answers. No, definitely. Of- and I know we're going to get probably this question afterwards, so I'll ask it now. For the gut health supplements, do you have anything that you would recommend for that? Any um, specific brands or anything like that? How should people kind of start? I would say get on a uh, a high quality probiotic. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not going to pump any particular brand that's out there because I've I've used a variety of brands and um, but you could do like a Consumer Reports, uh, you know, uh, search on on probiotics. Or I think recently I did like a top probiotics Google search and I got back, you know, a bunch with some ratings, um, and, um, a, a greens, uh, supplement, um, like that I take in the morning. So like a, a powdered greens, which is like, you know, a mix of lots of different fruits and veggies, powdered eyes that put, you know, put in water. That's like the first thing I consume every day. Um, so probiotic greens, and then there's a product, uh, called max fiber that I've used for a long time. That's, that's the only one that I'll, you know, refer to, you know, because I don't know of another product that's like it. Mm-hmm. Um, max fiber sold by peak bio through OPEX fitness, okay. um, their supplement site. Um, it's a great one. I, I just really like it. I, I mix it with my greens and, uh, take my probiotic with it and a couple other things that I take, but those three have been kind of my gut health, um, staple for years yeah and yeah um i would say that those would be kind of 
a great place to start. That's like a um, trying to think about what the the dollar investment is per day, but you know, probably around I would say probably like a two 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 dollar and fifty cent you know investment yeah. for a morning shake that mixes with water and a pill. Um, but for me, it's been really valuable. Gotcha. All right. Perfect. Um, the next one is about BCAAs. Um, somebody said that if they've heard that if you're getting enough leucine, that BCAAs could almost be useless. Is that a myth or what are your thoughts on that? Um, my thoughts are that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in the, in the, I, I, the, that information has kind of made its way through my ears a few times that leucine um, has probably the biggest impact um, and that having sufficient concentrations of it is all you need um, or at least it's, it's valuable. Um, but I'm not going to, I don't think I can comment definitively and say, because I, I certainly haven't sifted through all the research mm-hmm. But uh, but certainly that I've heard that as well, and you know, branch chain amino acids again. It's like, where are you in your, you know, sports performance training, and what's the wh- what's the need for that, you know? And I use branch chain amino acids um, with added leucine in my training, mm-hmm. but that uh, for my training sessions, that's what I drink while I'm training, and that's because I'm a big believer in training relatively fasted um i don't like to have a lot of food anywhere in the in close to or in and around my training um just because i don't with with food in my gut i don't perform as well i don't feel as as good so you know having some and i think that's something i encourage a lot of people to experiment with Mm -hmm. Um, but having some you know amino acids circulating in my bloodstream along with some sugars while i'm training uh helps uh, you know makes me feel like you know i'm i'm supported with some nutrients because i've i haven't been eating for probably two to three hours prior to training gotcha so it can definitely be useful totally cool um how about sleep issues so supplementing with things like you know melatonin or i think i've heard about um this person said magnesium but i've also heard like mixing cherry tart juice with a little bit of magnesium for you know uh, sleeping well what are some things that you would recommend to somebody when it comes to getting a good night's sleep if somebody has trouble with that Mm. yeah i mean i've i've been pretty fortunate to be a, a good sleeper for most of my life and with bouts of you know insomnia here and there and you know nights of bad sleep and what i know is that you know stress is a huge contributor to poor to poor sleep for people mm-hmm. okay and gut health is also a huge contributor to poor sleep so um you know getting up in the middle of the night needing to go you know uh, pee um, is oftentimes not a, uh, like a, an actual, your bladder is so full and you need to go evacuate your bladder. It's in some cases a stress response. So there's certain like a cortisol surge that happens at the wrong time of night. You wake up cause that's the, that's the hormone that kind of tells you, okay, it's time to get going for the day, but it's like one in the morning and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, and then you're aware that your bladder's full. You're like, oh, I have to go pee, right. you know? 
but your bladder was going to be full if you woke up at 7 a.m. just the same, but you slept through the night. So, you know, managing stress and gut health can improve sleep quality a lot. And I think poor sleep, you know, also back to our list of things like how do you check that your guts in you know your guts doing well mm-hmm. well along alongside like having diarrhea every day it's like i wake up multiple times a night you know could be a, an indicator that something's going on um so i kind of approach it like are you are you going to take care of what the underlying issue is or are you going to try and take a supplement to try and fix it right. you know i got to take some melatonin because i sleep like shit it's like well why are you sleeping so poorly like what what's going on you're like are you watching tv right up until the point where you go to bed like maybe you haven't protected your room maybe your room isn't this like you know optimal sleep environment maybe mm-hmm. you have too many electronics in there maybe you have too much stimulus before bed maybe your room is too warm you know maybe you haven't <laughs> you should maybe try some some things there um you know with that said like yeah i mean taking a zma or zinc magnesium supplement at night is something I do. I don't do it necessarily because it's going to make my sleep better. Um, but that is one of the things that, you know, it's, uh, touted as being beneficial for, mm-hmm. um, you know, experimenting with how close to bed you might eat. Um, like if you eat really early, like at 6 PM and you go to bed at 10, you know, that could be good for some people. And for some people it leaves them, you know, waking up in a, middle of the night hungry or you know they're not getting as deep asleep so it's such a complex um topic and honestly for probably another podcast and for probably somebody who's spent a lot more time researching it you know i mean i i definitely give it a lot of attention and thought in my life but um it's it's uh you know it's a whole nother area that i haven't investigated as deeply as i have training or nutrition Mm -hmm. for example yeah, so it's more about really just tackling the deeper rooted issues and seeing kind of what that does. Because I've heard a lot about, you know, because um, people are talking a lot about sleep these days, and I think it's great. And one of the things you hear is like, if you have even like a light uh, go off in your room, like m- maybe it's a night light, maybe it's your alarm clock, whatever it is, something as little as that could be affecting the way that you're sleeping. Or, you know, let's say that you're drinking coffee. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. and that doesn't suit you. So those things are something that you could easily prevent and kind of experiment and uh, tweak from there. Totally, yeah. There's a whole list of lifestyle stuff that I like to go through the checklist with clients who are having a trouble sleeping in addition to working on their nutrition profile and then changing their tr- their training methods to get them, you know, doing something that's going to support l- a lower stress environment for them. Um you know, before we ever going to go to a sleep aid, um, but you, like, like dark, a dark room is key. So you know, we have blackout curtains on our windows. Um, you know, no, no night light or anything like that, um, which is going to get interesting when we have the baby soon. We're going to be like waking up to go grab the baby. It's like totally pitch black. I think we're going to need to have a night light or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, cold, you know. So like, we oh, just right. moved into a new house which is super exciting, but we're getting used to the temperature in there. Thanks. You know, it's like, it's a pretty cold house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we crank the heater. We we never had to turn the heater on. Our our last place was pretty well, you know, the environment was pretty well controlled, the temperature. So we turned the heater on and we turned it off at like nine, you know, or eight 30 right before bed. And the room was still warm. Like it didn't cool down to a, 
appropriate temperature until later. So now we know like, okay, we got to cut that off at this time. Um, the colder the room for me, the, the better. Mm-hmm. That way I can kind of use the blankets to adjust my temperature. Um, and then, you know, noise um, is something that we played around with and we do, we do, we do white noise at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it used to just be a fan that we had on. Now we're like playing around with this white noise machine that supposed to be good for the baby when she comes so <laughs> but yeah those are some things that we we love is uh you know cold dark and a little bit of noise yeah and that and that stress thing that you said is actually so huge because i know for myself like i like to get a lot of like i have a creative surge at nighttime and that's where i get you know a lot of my work done but at the same time if you are even if you're doing something as simple as like listening to a book or a podcast uh that is more maybe technical like something that we're talking about right now it just gets your brain going and mm-hmm. uh, a way to kind of bring it down is to like if you are going to read or you know do some type of work like when it comes to reading, for example, read a biography, right? Or read fiction or read something that's going to actually wind you down and, and set that tone for like, hey, it's actually time to go to bed. So your brain's not still going all the way until, um, you know, the last second where you actually fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. And I think what you said, it's like uh, figuring out what winds you up and what winds you down, you know, because yeah. it's different for each person, right? Like I like watching kind of I don't want to call them trashy shows, but just like shows like on TV that yeah. are just like really, I don't have to think like right. Bachelor. Well, show me some <laughs> Bachelor. It's like I'll go right to bed after that, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, uh, that's and then you've got to you know and and developing routines is so important. That that's like a the a theme around nutrition and sleep and, and training mm-hmm. is. You know, yeah, we're tr- maybe people are like, "What's well, CrossFit? I got to train for the unknown and the unknowable. I got to do st- different stuff every time." And it's like, yeah, but parts of your life need to be consistent, like right. r- rhythm. You know, at this time I kind of have this meal, and at this time I start to wind down, and maybe I watch a show here, and then I, you know, I I go through the, you know, I prep myself for bed, and then I'm in bed at this time, and I might read a few pages of a book, and it's the same every night. Right. You know, and then same thing with my food. It's like my food. I, I wake up, I eat my meal at this time. You know, yeah, it doesn't have to be the same exact meal, the same exact everything every time, but it's like the time of day, you know, the way you prepare it, all that is yeah. super critical. Cool. All right. So this is the last uh, Q and a, it is uh, about creatine. So, um, is, and this is specifically about crea alkaline. I think it's on bodybuilding.com and they asked, is it any good? And how do you choose the right type of creatine? Hmm. I am. I'm not the. I'm not the expert in this uh, category. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you know creatine is. Uh, I think when you're gonna pick a, a form of creatine to take, you know, and if if you're gonna like go look at the the evidence or the research that's out there on what creatine is like good for and how it impacts our bodies. Um, and this was a few years ago, but I remember my coach telling me, it's like, well, all the research was done on creatine monohydrate. And creatine monohydrate mostly is sourced from the same place in the world. Like, it all comes from, like, I forget, I think it was, like, Russia or something. I don't know right. where it was. But it was, like, it's all pretty much the same. It comes through America and then gets repackaged into different, you know, brands. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go with what's been proven in the literature to be effective for training, just go buy some 
monohydrate. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to monohydrate, it doesn't really matter. Just buy, you know, a brand you either trust or a cheap one. Um, and then, uh, you know, with new things that come onto the market, yeah, of course, like, it takes time for research studies to be done. It takes time for the literature to catch up with what's actually being, you know, practiced out there in the field, right? So, you know, a, a new uh, alkali- alkalized version of creatine is now available, and it's being marketed as this, and this company is promoting it, and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. Maybe there's the first research paper that was done on it, um, and it may take five years for that to catch up and be like, oh, yeah, that was the best stuff. We need right. to be using that. Right now, I don't know if you know we know that yet, and um, and so you can you can be one of those people that's like I'm going to experiment. I'm going to plenty of things I have said and done based on anecdotal you know research, <laughs> like based on just how it's ex- impacted my life and told people how it could potentially impact theirs. And then later on, you know, it was like that was actually bad. That was not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, well I. I did it with the best of intentions and I was trying to impact people positively or, or the things that came out later was like, Oh yeah, that's really, that was really smart. I can't believe you were doing that. You know, like not eating, you know, not eating a whole grain, low fat diet. I was eating a high fat, you know, uh, you know, low carbohydrate, you know, meat veggie diet a while back. It's like, Oh, well that's actually good for some, that's really good for some people. Oh, that's actually really interesting that that now maybe is catching on five ten years later but um so yeah that's that's kind of the indirect answer to the question on yeah man now this question i actually have uh from the last time you were on you you talked about the uh what you do for body maintenance when you first wake up and it was the igoscu method Mm -hmm. yeah tell me a little bit about that like what what has been your experience with that how long have you been doing it what have you you know mainly kind of noticed uh from doing that um, well, you know, I, it was something where that I, um, got approached, I actually got approached by an Agoski therapist, um, back in, gosh, I think it was like whenever I was doing Gridley this year, mm-hmm. so whatever month that was, and she basically said to me, Hey, I, I'm, I wonder if, you know, you'd be interested in doing a free consultation with me and let me kind of, um, you know just teach you a little bit about what I do. And I was kind of like, well, I've never heard of this. I don't really know. I checked out her website. You know, she had a great story. She seemed, you know, super sweet. And I was like, and I was also suffering from a lot of pain at the time. Mm -hmm. My shoulder was in a lot of pain. And so I was like, okay, well, if this is supposed to improve my function, decrease pain, you know, do all these good things, I'm like, why not? I'll give it a try. And so I dove into that practice and you know, really for me, like when I run into good teachers, you know, they could be teaching a lot of different things. And But a great teacher who really knows how to educate me on the whys I'm doing things and open my mind to something that, you know, just a new concept or a new way of thinking about my body or about food, that's what just, I, I mean, I gravitate towards those things and I'll start teaching about that and preaching about it. And that was the case in this uh, particular example. This, uh, you know, this therapist was a great teacher. She took time to educate me. Uh, it made sense. Um, and I knew that 
like anything that I've done, if I don't, I got to practice it the way it's prescribed and I got to do it to, to really figure out what I'm going to get out of this thing and how this thing can really impact me. So uh, I dove into a daily practice of it. It was, you know, sometimes 60 minutes a day of doing this. Um, and I did it for, you know, I want to say three, maybe four months. Mm -hmm. And, and since, and you know, and as the four months went on, I started to learn and connect with my body better. I started to understand my posture better. I started to feel, uh, you know, relief in my shoulder. Um, and I don't attribute my shoulder health improvements solely to that practice. There were lots of other factors that were involved. But again, it was like it just opened my mind to some a different way of looking at my body. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and since then, I've, I've gotten out of the practice of doing it every single day. Um, but lo and behold, like I'm having some aches and pains in a certain part of my body. And I'm like, hey, that's a practice I'm going to reincorporate into my life, mm-hmm. you know. And and I haven't gotten away from it completely. So, but the 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 thought behind it, the best I can understand, the best I can teach or share about it is because I'm not an expert. Is that you know our bodies are you know symmetrical and or we're we're designed symmetrically and anatomical position you know is is such that the shoulder, the hip, the knee, and the ankle are all supposed to stack on top of each other, and that. The shoulders, the hips, and the knees, and the ankles, you know, are supposed to line up side by side. And if you create basically a, you know, if you take a picture, a still shot of somebody, and you just put dots at those, well, eight joints, right? Mm-hmm. Two shoulders, two hips, two knees, two ankles, that they're supposed to line up in a particular way. And when people get out of alignment, either rotated one way or the other, tilted side to side, mm-hmm. or forward, backwards, that those are, you know, those are compensations from injuries throughout your life through postural, uh, you know, incorrect posture at different, you know, your daily positions, um, through imbalances in your muscle musculature, and that the way back to alignment is not through necessarily the active work, but passive gravitational uh, pull, mm-hmm. allowing yourself to sit in positions. Um, where where gravity can actually pull you into the right you know orientation, take out some of those asymmetries or some of those rotationals, uh, rotational um, uh, flaws that are in your posture, and that once we achieve you know normal posture, that pain starts to get better. You know your energy levels can start to improve, your functionality and your ability to produce force might improve, and. It was it was just it was an eye opener for me when I had my first evaluation and I'm like okay I'm a I'm a pretty fit guy you know like I I can do a lot of things and my posture was quite you know strikingly off mm-hmm. right when when I just looked at it in a simple very like easy to understand way it was like well my shoulders are really rolled forward I'm very, very internally rotated you know I actually have a rotation in my <laughs> in my hip where one hip is like you know, an inch in front of the other. And this is just me standing like on a rest day. Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, what's, what do you see? You know? And, and so going through that practice to, to learn that was, was great. So I, I can, uh, I can share her, her information, how to, to visit her site if you wanted to put that in the show yeah. notes. But, um, yeah, she's, she's been great to me. And, uh, and again, it's like the big thing about that was somebody made me think differently mm-hmm. about my body and about how we move and how we posture. And 
you know, at this stage, anybody that can do that for me, like it just sets off like light bulbs. And that was kind of like, uh, like Tim Ferriss for, for me about six months ago, I was like, Oh my God, this guy just totally made me rethink a lot of things. And, um, those are great teachers and, and people that are really doing great work. Sparking curiosity. Totally. Cool. So, um, all right, man. Well, what would you like coaches and athletes to kind of take away from this podcast? There's lots of information to digest here, but uh, what is like maybe one thing that you would want people to walk away with? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, well, we talked a lot about nutrition. We talked about gut health. We talked about, um, you know, we touched on sleep a little bit. We didn't really talk about training and how it relates to this, but, you know, we can set ourselves up for patterns in our life that are going to support us for a long time. And we can set ourselves up for success in the short term. And I don't think that short-term success and long-term success need to be, like, like separate, right? I, mm-hmm. I've always felt like, I'm setting myself up for long-term health and fitness success um, by practicing good nutrition, uh, uh, good nutrition practices, exercise, lifestyle practices. Um, yes, there are some things that I do as a competitive CrossFit athlete that are not the healthiest things long-term, but I'm I'm acknowledging that that's you know. A, that's what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not using that as an excuse to do crappy things. So um, I'm taking care of myself for the long term because I want to have a really healthy, balanced life post competing in sport. You know, I want to have a good relationship to food in my body. Uh, I want to look good. You know, I want to feel good. I want to be able to do, I want to be able to train for the rest of my life. Um, and so. Yeah, that that might be the big takeaway. It's like, you know, having listeners really evaluate what their practices are to achieve their short-term goals and do they align with their long-term goals? And in some cases, they can't align, right? Mm-hmm. Going and get trying to get to the CrossFit games is not healthy for longevity. Right. Right? Like it's not it's that's not good. Like uh, there's no way that the way I feel at the end of the CrossFit game season is good for me long term. <laughs> I do it all the time. Right. But, you know, um with that said, like what am I doing to try and balance that? And then what are the practices I have? So a quality based food approach versus a quantity based food approach. Well, quality first, then I can dive into quantity for my short term goals, but the quality is is gonna set me up for longer term success and health and relationship to food. And so if listeners are jumping into some of the short term stuff and neglecting the long term stuff, be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Just know that you're doing it. If if you're consciously doing that, I'm not gonna argue with you. If you're doing it unconsciously and you're thinking, oh yeah, this is gonna be great for me like in five years, like maybe it's not going to be great for you in five years and, and maybe you're going to kick yourself because, you know, in five years you'll be like, why did I do that? Like, why was I just like eating donuts because it fit my macros and being like, yeah, I'm making PRs and now I'm like, five years later I'm not training and I've got like poor gut health and I'm like addicted to sugar and I don't know how to like 
manage good healthy eating practices and I have to start all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Awesome, man. Yeah, no, that's it. That's a, that's a lot. Um, perfect. So where can we find you? Where can we support your journey? Um, where would we like to point people to? Um, you know, I think we said it last time, but, uh, revive RX is the supplement company revive rx.com. You can go and check us out there and just see sort of many of the things I talked about today and how that is put into a company, mm-hmm. uh, company. And then, um, you know, my, my, my personal coaching business, uh, revivalstrength.com. Um, yeah, website's kind of under construction right now, but we'll be launching that soon. And, um, and of course my, you know, my Instagram page, Marcus Philly, and, uh, those are three places you can go and reach out and get more info. Cool. And you, and you have apparel on there too, right? Cause I kind of want that t-shirt you're wearing. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. We're, we, thanks. Yeah. We're going to, uh, we're also going to expand our apparel line soon. We got some good stuff in the works, but um, yeah, we got some shirts and hats and uh, crew neck uh, sweatshirts, which are super popular right now because it's a little chilly. Yeah. So yeah, head on over to revivorx.com for that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much once again, man, for being so generous with your time and for dropping knowledge for the listeners. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again for having me. And I'm sure we'll come up with something to talk about again in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I know you're probably driving right now. You're probably eating, cooking, working out. You're doing something else. But make sure you head over to theairbornemind.com. Check out some of the free coaching videos, warm-ups, guides, checklists, all the things that you can use to make the best use out of your training time. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you guys and it would really help me out so I can continue creating awesome stuff for you. And remember, the greatest compliment you can give is by sharing it with somebody else who might enjoy it or somewhere on the web. So once again, thank you so much for being a listener and supporting the show. Until next time.